My name's Todd. Let's pray, and we'll go ahead and get started. Um, Father, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the chance that you've given us to get together. Lord, uh, <laughs> thank you for technology, as frustrating as it is, that allows us to gather together and, uh, man, worship you and learn from your word. And, uh, man, I just pray, God, that those that are watching would trust and know that they're here for a purpose, that you've called them here, Lord, that you, you've brought them here for a reason. And I pray they'd be open to your, your leading. And, Lord, I pray that you would help me to preach your word and only your word and that I wouldn't get in the way. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So welcome to the remnant. This is what we do. Technology's great. I'm really excited because I actually have people in here today. We're able to, during these open phases here as we're opening up, um, I'm, we get to have people in here. And you saw a little bit of that with people because when she's praying at the end, everyone's supposed to come off. At the time, we even went over this right during it, and yet we didn't. This is exciting. So uh, I'm excited about that stuff. I'm glad to have people back here so I don't just have to look at the camera. And if you've been on every week, I don't have to just talk to Clint as he yawns. But we can really just dive in. Let's see if he'll do it today, right? You'll hear it. You sound like a dragon flying in the room. Um, but in all seriousness, let me become a pastor. Watch. Hey, welcome to The Remnant. My name's Todd yet again. Uh, I am really excited to see you guys. Um, I want to dive right in. So I spent a lot of time, and this is real, this is true. I spent a lot of time trying to make sure that when I read the Bible, because this can, it can be easy not to do this. When I read the Bible, I, I try my best to remember and take moments. Sometimes I'll just sit there after I read something and think of it as actual events. Not just stories, not just fables, not just myths. And you've heard me say this before if you, you come to the remnant a lot, but really let that sink in. This actually happened. And with that, I also think of the characters as actual flesh and blood people. That means what? Let's think this through. If they are real people, they're just like us, that means they laughed, they cried, they had fun, they had family, friends, they had good days, they had bad days, they had struggles, they had frustrations, they had all those kinds of things. They were real people like you and me. And I think when we remember that, we can learn even more from the Bible and what it teaches about the kingdom of God, of God's character, of his heart, of his expectations for us, all those kinds of things. So for me, when I think about that, when I look at the Bible as actually being real events with real people, there's one story that becomes even more powerful to me. And it becomes so heavy and so heartbreaking if I allow myself, and I encourage you to do that right now, Remember the situation and put myself in place of the people involved. They're real, just like you're real. Now put yourself there. And that story is the crucifixion. Now I'm not just talking about the fact that Jesus died and they see their friend died. I'm, I'm talking about bigger, th- not bigger than that. Not bigger than what he did, stay with me, but bigger than that just being their friend. I want you to consider for a second and really think about this. The apostles... Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, the many disciples who believed in him, those that he healed and whom he changed the lives, he changed the trajectory of their life with one touch or one word. That happened. We see it. And yet, in the moment of the crucifixion, it was over. It was over. It was, he was supposed to be the Messiah. He was supposed to lead them into a new age, the kingdom of God. He wasn't supposed to die. And on that cross, it was just Jesus. I'm sorry, it wasn't just Jesus who had died to them. 
but their hope, their joy, their faith maybe. I want you to take a second and imagine putting all your hope, faith, and trust in a man and seeing him do all the amazing things he did, the miracles, the healings, all of it. Imagine believing that God had come and now it was all gone. And just like the sky darkened with an eclipse while Jesus hung on the cross, if you really let yourself sit there, so did their lives darken. So just as night came, right, when we read the, the story of the crucifixion, we see that, that at night is when they came and took Jesus and buried him. And just as night came and Jesus breathed his last, night had come to the lives of these men and women who had followed Jesus. Night had come. We all know the story from here on, right? It doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Night didn't last, and as the sun rose the next morning at daybreak, Jesus was no longer in the tomb. Night was over, and day had come. Now what's interesting to me is how the disciples acted when Jesus came back. How they acted when daybreak had come. They could have lived in fear. Because you have to remember when, even though they had killed Jesus, they also were going to begin to um, hate, they were going to begin to persecute those that followed Jesus. They could have lived in fear, they could keep to themselves, they could focus on their families, they could have made sure to take care of their own, they could have made excuses about it being too dangerous to follow Jesus, and it was, or that it had cost them, and would cost them too much, and it would cost them. I think you can see the parallel that I'm drawing here. We're beginning to come out of our own night. Okay, we're beginning to come out of a type of night for us. Now, it may not be over. Night can come again, but we've come out of night, this quarantine. The danger is still here. Not saying it isn't. But daybreak has come. We're able to begin to move forward, to open up. But now what? We can learn a lot from what the disciples did when Jesus returned. What they did in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. And from their example, we can learn how to model our own steps now that day has come. So, that's what we're going to do. If you have your Bibles, which you should, you're at home, turn with me to John chapter 21, the Gospel of John, verses 15 through 17. When you got to say, I got it. Just kidding, you're not in the room. It'll be on the screen. Someone in the room said it. Nice. When they had eaten breakfast, now let me stop. You have to understand, at this point, Jesus has raised from the dead, and he's beginning to show himself to the disciples. He's beginning to show himself. And he comes to Peter. Now, we remember that Peter betrayed him, right? Yeah? Yes, Peter betrayed him. So he comes, and he eats breakfast with Peter. It's a pretty cool story. And this is where we'll start at verse 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. I'm going to give you a list. I know you guys like lists. Right? Yeah, lists are good. So what do we do as we come into our own daybreak? As we end this quarantine, how as the church do we act 
How do we respond to daybreak? As Christians watching, if you're watching, as, uh, maybe you're members of other churches, maybe you're not a member of church, maybe you're a Christian, maybe you just want to follow Jesus, whatever it is. How do we respond? From this, I can tell you the first thing is we provide. I love the fact that when Jesus came here and he came back to Peter, he did it. Now, we know there's a personal issue here, right? There's a personal story that he's, he's finishing with Peter the man, the person. But also, there's something for us here. He could have said, hey, Peter, the first thing I want you to do is apologize to me. Hey, Peter, I want you to take everyone and I want you to go and make sure they're okay. Make sure your people are okay. Go check in your family. Go check in your friends. No, he said, feed my sheep. Who are his sheep? All of us. So as you come out of quarantine, as we come into daybreak, the tendency is going to be many of you, many of us, have developed bad habits. When you put someone away from anyone else, some of you literally haven't been around other people, either out of fear or necessity, whatever else. As you come out of this, there's going to be a tendency. We, we gain bad habits. We can start to become more withdrawn. We can start to become more selfish, right? And we use words like, taking care of my own, or uh, providing for my family, just my family. I've got to do this, or I've got to do that, or I've got to keep people safe, or I've got to protect the elderly, whatever else you want to do, which really at the end of the day, for many of us, is just a way for us to justify our selfishness. As the church comes out of quarantine, we should look to provide for our communities, for our friends, for our coworkers. What does that mean? It might mean feed them, like he said here. It might mean encourage them. It might mean look for opportunity. Maybe you haven't to tangibly love them. It might mean looking for ways, you know, maybe you have an elderly neighbor or an elderly friend who, ha who literally hasn't been able to leave home because they were told that if they do, they might breathe something that kills them. And so they sit there alone for 40, 50 days. Who knows how long now? Don't wait for an invitation to provide. Look for ways to provide to those around you. Not just your own. Not just the people that you think are more important than anyone else. As we come and respond to daybreak, as, as light comes, we are to go out and provide for people. Take care of people. Love people tangibly. The church should do that. Now, here's a temptation too, and I've pondered this often. You know, we should be feeding people. I, I've said that. There's churches doing that still that are feeding the poor. I love that stuff. But there are other needs that people need. Emotional, mental, spiritual, social needs. People need people. Individually, each person listening to this right now, whether you're listening live or listening later, can reach and impact and provide for someone in your life in some way. So as we respond to daybreak, we look for ways to provide. If you have your Bibles, now we're going to jump into Acts so you can stay there because I love it, right? So he tells Peter this. Jesus then gives him the Great Commission. Go and tell people the good news of the kingdom, right? That the kingdom of God has come to repent and be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission, we all know that. Go tell people about Jesus. By the way, you are all responsible to do that individually, not just in your church home. You are individually called to tell people about Jesus. If you claim the name, you have a job. Well, I'm not full-time ministry. Yes, you are. You may just not get paid for it. Your job is to tell people about Jesus. 
So that being said, what do they do then? Then they go, and then did they, did they have a big meeting? Did they have a conference? Did they come together and come up with 12 steps to follow? No, this is what they did. Acts chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. When they arrived, the disciples, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were continually united, excuse me, all these were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were continually united in prayer. It's so fascinating to me that as Christians who believe in God, we sometimes pray. No one would know we are Christians by our prayer life. When I have talked to some of you, so pray. How do we respond? Pray. We, we pray. We pray. What do you mean pray? I mean, when you're anxious, you pray. When you're looking for ways to provide, you pray. When you're looking to, God, I'm lonely, I'm scared, I'm broken, we pray, Lord, what direction do I take? Do I, you know, my job is gone, do I take a new one? You pray. What do I do for my church and my brothers and sisters? You pray. Continually. If you're listening right now, and I... This is between you and God. And you can't, have, you, have you prayed today? If you haven't prayed one time today and you're a Christian, something's wrong. And I know for a fact people in this room, because we got some people in the room today, haven't prayed today. And I know for a fact that people watching this today who claim the name of Jesus, and I'm not here to shame you, you have not prayed today. Why? We want to respond to daybreak. We want to make impact. We want to deal with the anxiety and fear of not knowing what's going to happen. Is it going to come back? Is this going to end? Is the economy going to crash? Am I going to have a job? On and on and on. Am I going to get to get married to the person I want to get married to because we have to wait because what if somebody gets the COVID, right? The Rona, is that what you cool kids call it? Yeah. All of these things. Now let's think about what is prayer, right? Go to your Father with all prayer and petitions. We talked about this last week. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will come upon you, right? So many people are anxious. I didn't realize it because I've been away from people a lot too, right? I mean, I've interacted maybe more than others, but when I'm around, I got to spend some time with friends, you know, some people from churches. We slowly opened up even yesterday. I know, I know. We kept it under 25, don't worry. But as we did that, listen, I noticed people's anxieties. I noticed people not knowing how to interact anymore. I noticed people not unsure of their relationships. Are they, are they still strong? Are they still there? Have you ever noticed the... The less time you spend with someone, the more you begin to doubt them. We need prayer to be united. I love that because it said they were united in prayer continuously. Prayer unites us. Pray. Acts chapter 2, 37 through 41. Acts chapter 2, 37 through 41. When they heard this, well, let, me, let me pause. They, they talked... Peter stood up and said, we got to do something right after they prayed. we got to start moving, blah, 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 blah. This is what happens. Then Peter begins to preach, and we find out that he preaches, he preaches the first sermon, right? You all know this. So Peter, after they prayed, he gets up, and this is Peter the fisherman. Incredible, by the way. This stubborn guy. The guy who cut the ear off, the guy who didn't listen, the guy uh, who was a hothead, but who Jesus saw as the leader of the church, steps into what God already saw, what Jesus saw in him. And he preaches the very first sermon. And this is what happened to these people that heard. 
He told them about Jesus. It says, when they heard this, the people, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Oh, I love that. As many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. And so those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. How do we respond to daybreak? We provide, we pray, and we preach. Well, Todd, I'm not a good preacher. Stay with me. Preaching is just telling them the truth. Just telling them the truth. I had a friend recently who, tell, well, stay with me, I'll get it. I had a friend recently who started work at a company where a lot of people from our church work. True, now everybody knows because we're not a huge church, but the rest of you don't. And I was talking to this person, and as they were talking about their spouse, one of the things that he said, he goes, one of the bummers is, is that his spouse, well, I should say she, was shocked because they acted just like the rest of the workers there. You would have never known they go to church. They acted the exact same. And so they came in getting to work with their church family, with other Christians, like, oh man, we're going to make it. And the truth is, instead of setting culture, they just became a part of culture. Because outside of the walls of church, I guess it all stops being true. Here's the thing. People aren't looking for you to conform. People are looking for you to tell them the truth. And in a time that is as scary, a time that is uh, as uh, anxiety-causing, a time that is as uncertain as now, people, the harvest is ready. People are ready for the truth. Now, when I say this, this is one of those times I get a little fired up and I want to, like, throw my podium because people are going, yeah, they should do that. No, you should do that. When is the last time you told someone about Jesus Christ? When is the last time? When's the last time you mentioned it? When's the last time that you told them the gospel? Do you even know how to say it? Do you even know what you believe? When is the last time in the last 50 days as people are desperate and scared and alone and sometimes literally hungry and and frightened and losing their jobs? When have you told them about the good news of the kingdom? Well, I'm not a good speaker. That's a cop-out. Neither was Moses. Well, I'm this and I'm that. It doesn't matter because if you're continually talking about what you are and what you're not, then guess what you're not talking about? What God is and what He can do. You say you can't talk. You say you're shy. You say you don't know what to say. You say you can't. That's so cool because it gives God an opportunity to show off. How do we respond to daybreak? I want you to picture for a second that Jesus left and they, they started helping people, right? They did. They gave Him food maybe. They prayed when they were together, but that's it. They didn't tell anyone about Jesus. They didn't preach a gospel. They didn't invite them to a church. That, you know, that, that's the bare minimum, by the way. The bare minimum is inviting someone to your virtual church service. That's the bare minimum. That's the bare minimum. What if they had stopped there? What if Peter had never preached that first sermon, what if you would have provided and prayed and went home? 
might as well get rid of the book of Acts. You might as well get rid of the rest of the New Testament because Paul, right? Peter was a part of Paul's story. Did you know that? Guys, we have fallen into some sort of trap in America, and I hope that all this shakes us up in a good way. We have fallen into a trap that because there's a church on every street corner that everyone knows the gospel, I can tell you from experience that for the first 17 years of my life, I had heard of Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. I had no clue what the gospel was. You could have told me I thought it was about going to a fancy building, wearing fancy clothes, and having money. And being fake. Nobody told me that there was a way for me to feel clean. That there was a way for me to feel whole. That there was a way for me to be restored to God in a way that I would never even fathom. Nobody even told me that I wasn't restored to God. I know for a fact that I thought that I was a good person and that that was enough. That is the problem with today's church. Is that you think because there's signs that say come join us that they're just going to do that. I didn't. You are the church, not the building. You have to tell them. We have to tell them. You know, Jesus says it himself. The Bible says it over and over. There's a beautiful verse in the Bible that says, and how will they hear if no one will tell them? Blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. That, that, I could cry right now. I want you to think about it. They're dying. Jesus has, has the answer. We know that. How are they going to know if someone doesn't tell them? I love foreign ministries, I, or, uh, missionaries. I want to support that. My goodness. They're, your neighbor down the street doesn't know Jesus. And you think because you give 50 bucks a month to a missionary in a different country that that means this person next door isn't dying? Because without Jesus Christ, COVID-19, even if you were to die, is not the worst thing that's going to happen to you. It's mind-blowing how we act. The arrogance of walking around with a cure and not telling anyone. Jesus said it himself. You know me, I typically, well, some of you may not, but I'm all about uh, I believe the gospel and the, you know, it starts with grace, right? We have to understand, I think inherently many of us know that we're messed up. We just think we're, no, we can never be fixed. And so I like to focus on that, that, that there's, you know, and this is true, there is grace, right? What I'm about to say is some truth for you. Jesus himself said, the way, the path is narrow that leads to life and few will find it. Path is, the path is broad that leads to destruction and many will enter it. Listen to me, what do I mean by that? There's a lot of comfortable people going down the wide path. And they call themselves Christians. You know, in the book of James, it talks about faith without works is dead. And that can make, it's not about earning your salvation. What James was saying is if your faith doesn't produce any fruit, works, desire for others to know, then are you saved? And you could be, and you're just selfish, and that's fine. Why don't you sit in the party? At your church while outside the doors people are dying. Picture that for a second because I have. We have got to preach during daybreak. Daybreak is not an opportunity just to party. Daybreak is an opportunity to work. To fulfill the great commission. We have to take it seriously. Preach. Continue right down. A couple verses down in uh, verse 44. 
So they preached. 3,000 people, by the way, from one man's obedience, 3,000 people came to know Jesus because he told them the truth. By the way, if you go read that, I encourage you, stay with me, I know. Go read that. Go read his sermon and see if that's one of those feel-good sermons. He's telling them some hard truth. Telling them, but it's the truth. You may not like it, but if you're driving off a cliff and I say, hey man, you really should stop going that way, you're going to go off a cliff, you may think I'm bossy and I'm arrogant and I'm telling you that you're a bad driver until you're flying through the air off a cliff. We need to tell them the truth. But he tells them, and now here's what happens. This is what they do. Do they go home and just go, let's have some cake. We had a good day of, of doing ministry. No, this is what they did. Now all the believers were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. We use this verse a lot here at the Remnant because I think it's a perfect verse. For what? Here's what we do in daybreak. We'll take, you want to respond to daybreak? Number four, plant. What do you mean, Todd? Plant a church? No, plant yourself in community. Plant yourself in community. They knew that in this world, though they were working, they needed each other. They had to stay together. Did that mean they didn't fight? Just because they didn't say they didn't have arguments doesn't mean they didn't have arguments. Were they humans? Remember the beginning of what I told you guys. Are they real people? Then they had arguments. Did they have disagreements? Yes. I would envision Peter made people mad many times. Right? I guarantee he did. I guarantee it. They made each other mad. They would, they would hurt each other, all these things. But what they did and what gave them favor with all the people was the way that they were committed and planted in community. Another struggle for the American church. I know because the remnant's done this. I have had people take this verse, call me, and say, Todd, you're telling me to sell all my stuff and give it to other people, you communist. That's, I'm not exaggerating. First of all, no, I'm not telling you that. But secondly, if God wanted you to, why wouldn't you? The point here isn't that he's saying, this is what it is, by the way, to understand to read the Bible. You need to go do all that, though God may ask you to, just like he asked the rich man. I often wonder, the rich young ruler, do you know this story? He said, I believe in you, what should I do? Jesus said, hey, you do all the good things, do one more thing. Give all your money away to the poor and follow me. I often wonder, because of the way God is, had he said, I'll do it, if Jesus would have made him. I don't know. Reminds me a lot of Abraham, right? Are you willing to give up the thing that you hold dearest if I asked you to? The point is, their community, they were so planted in community that what was mine was yours and yours was mine because it wasn't just about me, it was about my brother or sister. I love this too. They did it with a joyful and humble attitude. They weren't miserable. Well, I go to church every week, Todd. That should be enough. I've heard that too. I've literally heard in relation to pushing people to be in community, I give my offering, I go to church on Sunday, what more do you want from me? I don't want anything from you. What God wants from you is a whole different story. I don't do community naturally well. People think that I do because I push it so hard. No, I push it so hard because I have to try to do it. Honestly, I've said this in, in many of our, I might have said in this sermon, who knows, you know, when you preach enough, <laughs> preach, you forget what you say. I may have said this before, but one of the weird things I'm noticing about myself, people are like, Todd, you're an extrovert and you love community being around people. And I'm like, not really. I'm not, I really don't. I'm completely content not. 
I've become shy. I know that's weird because I'm kind of yelling at you, but I'm becoming shy. I don't, if I see you in the, in the grocery store, I got to work up the gumption to talk to you. That's happening. That's what happens when I'm on my own. I become naturally that way too. You have to work at it, but that doesn't mean that that's not important. I don't say this to brag. I say it out of conviction. One of the first things I said to our worship team as they got together this week, and they can tell you, hopefully they knew it was sincere, was I apologize because I know I was not community to them the way that I could have been. I did not love them during this the way that I could have. I could give you a million excuses. Well, this has never happened before. And, and you're observing this, and you're carrying the weight of blah, 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 blah. Those are that's all my flesh trying to justify my selfishness. How do we respond to daybreak? We work, and we get planted in community. Community is so important biblically for so many different ways. It's not just to make, because see, the problem, another problem is people are like, well, I don't need anyone. That's fair. Maybe you don't today, but you will. And maybe today someone needs you. What happens when there's no accountability in your life, by the way? I'd be curious if I could do an anonymous poll. How many of you have fallen into old struggles and patterns being away from everyone else? Addictions, struggles, anxiety, worries, fear, anger, bitterness, slander, all these things. I would be curious if we could do a poll of all Christians where it was 100% truthful and not the fake Christianese thing. How many of us have fallen and struggled more without having community around us? I would imagine many of us. We can't carry each other's burdens, as Galatians says, if we're not community. As iron sharpens iron, a brother or sister sharpens another, right? You can't do that if you're not together. That's like taking two pieces of metal and rubbing them over here. They're not touching. That does nothing. I can move like I am, right? That doesn't do anything. It becomes dull. You have to be planted in community. And I chose plant. I'm doing a pea thing. You notice that? It helps you remember. But planting, you know, if I plant something... It's firmly in there, isn't it? It's not just thrown on top. See, some of you are kind of like a flower that gets thrown on a flower bed. You're not planted. You're just thrown on there. That's just good enough. That's why you move from flower bed to flower bed, church to church. Ooh, I got you. You church hoppers, that's what you do. The reason it's so easy for you to go to place to place and you keep telling yourself that you'll be planted if you find the right bed, that's a lie. You just don't want to be vulnerable and you don't want to do the work because ask any of our people that are sold out community, this place is special, by the way. I believe that 100%. But the challenge will be for even this remnant who I believe has always done community well, will you do community well now that daybreak has come? But I would bet you anything, if I were to get my steering team up here, my worship team, all these people, ours, and would ask them, they would tell you that community is hard. Because community is not just about when you want it. If it's about your convenience, it's not community. That's acquaintances. You have to be planted in community. You have to. That's a struggle, man. You know, a lot of times people will start to, and I feel some, some empathy. That's the word, and sympathy. I know that, you know, as you guys come into daybreak, as we begin to walk out there again, and maybe, you, maybe you've never been planted in church. Maybe you're going to come here. I hope you do. I've never met you. You're going to feel, it's going to feel scary, and you're going to look for opportunities to say that this isn't the right decision. Well, they're not responding to me. Nobody talks to me. They don't call me. They don't love me. I reach out to them. They don't reach out to me. Once again, you have to understand that community isn't about you. It's about we. It's not about you or me. It's about we. That's the point of community. I read, I heard this thing recently on a, um, it's out there. I, I don't have the guy's name handy. 
but he was, a, he was in ministry, and he was heavily addicted to pornography, heavily, to the point that it affected his marriage. A crazy story. But one of the things that he said that was so beautiful, and I'm going to butcher it probably, but the thought and sentiment is so powerful. He said, I was failing miserably at being a solo disciple of Jesus Christ until I realized there are no solo disciples of Jesus Christ. That's not how he disciples us. He disciples us together in groups. That's how he does it. Because like a body, stay with me, body of Christ, we need each other. Because where, you, where I might be weak, Jill might be strong, right? And she's someone in the room if you don't know. Where Jill might be strong, weak, Austin might be strong. That's how it works. Where we're all weak, Chris is strong, right? That's the type of thing. That's why he does that. Because in our brokenness and our sinfulness, as we're being turned more into Christ, we need each other to fill in the cracks, so that the body functions the way it's supposed to function. Got to be planned in community. And number five, I don't have a verse for this. It's produced, and I have it in all, capital, uh, all capitalized in all caps because, stay with me, as we go into daybreak, we take all of those things above and we have to produce. Produce what? Light. So that when dark comes again, people have a light to look to. We provide hope. We provide hope by telling them the truth and hope in Jesus Christ. We provide love by providing for their needs. We become all of the things that Jesus says we are, right? You don't hide a light, right? That we're a city on a hill. The church in America today, in the world really, what a unique time. People say, Todd, do you think the end times are here? I hear that all the time. I don't know. Maybe. But whether it is or it isn't, we should be doing our job and producing light, love, hope, joy, peace. We should be examples of that. Our lives, though flawed, should point people to Jesus Christ. And I've said this before, and if I was really prepared, I'd cut the lights right now. But in a dark world, even the smallest match is comforting. You understand? In a dark room, if I light one match, it gives enough light for a lot of people to see. You are matches in your individual worlds, and you are called to light it up. And as each of those individual matches that are lighting your worlds up come together, even virtually, intent, we're a bonfire. We're a roaring flame, right? That points people to the good news of the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ. That's it. Provide, pray, preach, plant, and produce. You like that, Austin? That's alliteration. Learn that in English class. Yeah, I'm concerned. I'm concerned for the church. If you're a pastor watching this, sometimes pastors get on here. I like to think they get on here to encourage too, but sometimes they get on to criticize, don't they? I know, Tim, I shouldn't, but I'm going to. If you're watching this, I challenge you, even if you don't like me, to ask yourself, how are you pushing your people to produce? Because Jesus isn't going to be concerned when he's talking to you with how Todd's doing. Right? You can say, well, I did better than Todd. I, he's going to say, I'll deal with Todd. We're talking about you. What are we doing? I'm concerned, church. I'm concerned, Christians. What are we going to do as 
This is good news. I love that picture, by the way, man. Props to Tim on that. It's beautiful, isn't it? Daybreak. As the sun rises, what are we going to do now? Are we going to stay hidden in our holes in case night comes again? Are we going to go out and do what we're supposed to do? That's the challenge. How are you in the days and weeks to come? How are you going to respond during daybreak as as day is breaking? Are you going to be what the media is telling you to be? Careful, smart, safe, socially distant. I'm not saying that. I shouldn't even preface. I'm not going to preface, Chris. Are you going to do that? Are you going to hide? Or are you going to be like the early church? Are you going to be bold? Are you going to say, now's the time to act because people need hope and light and love? They are primed and ready to hear the gospel. They are. What will you be doing during daybreak? What will you do this week? That's the challenge. What will you do this week? People, I'll never forget, a lady came to our church one time and she said, she had her daughter ask, but I knew for a fact it was her question. You ever had that happen? I was like, her daughter didn't think of it. She's like, why are you so angry when you preach? I'm not angry. I call it passionate. That's my justification. But I do get passionate when I think about, like, how can Christians out there, guys? I mean, we have days. If you're out there right now and you're, you don't have any, you're like, yeah, whatever. How, how, how? How can you not be moved to act and move? During a time, that I mean, it's unbelievable. We're sitting here wrestling through. Like, this is the, this is, some people have said historically that part of the reason the, the early church spread so rapidly, believe it or not, was the persecution, right? In the, in, the, in the pressure of the persecution that they faced the early church, somehow, some way, that led to its explosion. Because people were looking, you know, during t- they, they themselves, so people were looking at them going, man, they are being persecuted, and yet they still believe. There's something to this. Also, while the rest of the, you know, then that persecution, by the way, is not just on them, is it? It's on different groups. As the pressure is applied, people are looking for the truth. You have it. You have been given a mission that is so important for just as time as this, for daybreak. What will you do? If you're in uh, the virtual room today, or in this room, and you're one of those people that you're scared, you're anxious, you don't know Jesus, but the sound of it, to feel peace and joy and all those things that your heart's looking for something that God's been calling out to you during this time, and I believe that's happening to a lot of people. Sometimes it takes terrible circumstances to wake us up. If that's you, I want to tell you the good news of the gospel very briefly. The good news is this. You probably think you're alone in your brokenness. You probably think you're alone in your sin and your mistakes and your flawedness. You're wrong. We all are. God made everything perfect and we rejected him. And in that rejection of God, when we said we will decide what's right and wrong, is we were separated from God. And just like anything else away from its source, right? Right? We become what? Sinful and corrupted and evil and we do terrible things and all this stuff. And now no matter what we do, there is a gap between God and us that we cannot bridge on our own. Because in order to be there, we would have to be holy and we already know we aren't. And that's where Jesus comes in. God came down in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. He existed and Jesus Christ lived a perfect life 
loved us, taught us, healed people, showed us the way of kingdom, showed us what it was supposed to be like before we rejected him, told us what's going to come when God comes back and fixed it, and also he gave us a way to go home for the bridge to be built and the gap to be bridged. How is that? Because we are sinful, there has to be a punishment. There has to be a price paid for our mistakes. That's justice. So on the cross, Jesus Christ took our place. He took our death so that we never have to die. And on the cross, we give him our sin and he gives us his perfect life, the benefits of it. So that when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see all those mistakes that Todd has made. He doesn't see all those mistakes you've made, all those secret sins, those secret things you're ashamed of. He doesn't see that. He sees Jesus' perfect life. That's what it tells us. So in Romans it says this, if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. So wherever you're at today, whether you're at home, in a bathroom, in a car, out in a street corner, I don't care. If you're hearing this today, at this very moment, you can know what it is to be saved, to be secure, to know that if you were to, Lord forbid, die tomorrow of the Rona, see, I did it again, that you would be in paradise with God. And Not only that, it's not just waiting to die. God begins to fulfill us and empower us during this life. He enables us to have peace that transcends understanding. I have it. Does that mean I don't have bad days? No, I have terrible days. But I'm able to get through them because I have peace that transcends my circumstances. He gives me a joy that makes no sense, and he has changed me. Even when I, ha- I don't want to change. That's what he'll do for you. He's available to you right now. Pray with me, please. Father, I thank you so much for this day and the opportunity you've given us to come together and just, uh, man, learn of who you are. God, thank you for this daybreak that's coming. That's here. Whether brief or long, we thank you for the hope that comes with this opening up. Lord, so many of us, it's felt like we're in hills and caves hiding during this time for days and weeks and months. And now, Lord, as the the sun rises, we get to come out. Father, I pray that your people would be bold during this time. That during the daybreak, they wouldn't stay hidden, but would come forth like lions, roaring and loving and telling people about who you are. And I pray, Lord, that this world would turn to you, Father. Repent and be saved. That's what you want for us. God, it even says, you said yourself, you don't want anyone to perish, but everyone to have eternal life. Thank you, Father, for that. And I pray for all the people listening that they would have hope and encouragement this week, that they would find themselves a community to be planted in, and that they would go to bed tonight knowing how much you love them, that you love them so much that you were willing to die in their place. God, we pray for our government leaders, our world, as they continue to make tough choices. And, uh, Lord, we, uh, man, we pray, for your, pray for our church with a capital C, that all churches would, would be bold during daybreak, would come together, be unified, and show the world what your body's really about. Forgive us for the times that we're not. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.